Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, what's up, y'all? Welcome back into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today you're listening on the Believe Network. Wow, can you believe the U.S. Open is already over? What an historic U.S. Open. What an incredible U.S. Open. These last two weeks at the U.S. Open at the USTA National Tennis Center in New York City was an incredible 14 days. There was so much that happened, so many storylines. And when you looked at this tournament before the tournament actually started, and you think there's no Roger, there's no Novak going to be at this tournament. What what is this tournament, right? When you look about a month out from this tourney, you know, what is going to be there? What's going to attract people? Like no one knows what to expect. And I think this tournament exceeded expectations for a lot of fans and really non-tennis fans when it comes to that. And I can't undermine the fact that Serena Williams retiring and evolving away from tennis as I should say was a large part of the publicity that the U.S. Open got this year. But I think what happened is people paid attention to the Serena story, and then they kind of hung around for everything else that was happening because it was so interesting. And obviously, you got to credit Serena with the record number of people that, you know, Arthur Ashe Stadium set a record for the most people in attendance at a match. I think they hit like 29,000 or something. But there was a record attendance at the tournament at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. Now, this comes from Front Row Sports, which is a pretty you know business-like sports outlet and pretty credible, I would say. It says, for the first time ever, the U.S. Open sold out every session at Arthur Ashe Stadium. 776,120 fans attended this year's tournament, breaking the event's record. And that doesn't surprise me. Serena Williams helped sell out the early sessions, but as they got into the later sessions, and what I'll get to here in a minute incredible matches, incredible, incredible matches, and very entertaining for that matter. And when you look at, like I said, when you look at the tournament, before the tournament, you're like, who's going to be there that's going to be so entertaining? Who are we really going to watch? And it turns out there were some guys there. There were some women there as well that were just outstanding and a ton of fun to watch. Let's start on the men's side. Let's get to the quarterfinals where I left off in the last podcast that I had here. Now, what I mentioned in the quarters is... Because of Tiafo beating Rafael Nadal in the fourth round, every person that was in the quarters had never won a Grand Slam before. So there was going to be a first-time winner no matter what at this tournament, which was exciting the way it was. Uh, let's look at who was in the quarters. Nick Kyrgios, Karen Hachinov, uh, Matteo Berrettini, Casper Ruud, Yannick Sinner, Carlos Alcaraz, Andre Rublev, and Francis Tiafo. What happens in the quarters? Nick Kyrgios plays Hachinov. Kyrgios loses in five sets. Hachinov really played an incredible match. I watched his match, and the only reason for Hachinov to win this match was he had to play really, 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 really good. And he did. He played great. And he, he played as great as he could. This one goes five sets, almost four hours, and Nick Kyrgios loses at the end of this match. Now, there was some talk around at the end of this match. He was smashing rackets, and everyone's like, he's bad for tennis. Uh, he's such a sore loser, blah, blah, blah. I hate to tell you non-tennis fans, but that stuff happens all the time. People smash rackets all the time. The frustrated nature of the sport gets in the way sometimes, and things like that happen. So I know that's not the only stuff that he does that upsets people, but I'm just saying for him to smash rackets afterwards, that's not something new. He, I mean, 
Alexander Sverev hit a chair umpire's chair a few times in Mexico a few years ago. And, you know, there's been worse things that have happened in the sport. Denis Shapovalov, right when he came on the tour, you know, hit a ball and it hit an umpire. Uh, pretty, pretty bad. So there's been worse things that happened on tour. I, I think that's a really scapegoat for people to not like Kyrgios. But nevertheless, Kyrgios was upset about this loss, as he should be. Because he really had a chance to win this tournament, and I think he knew that. Matteo Berrettini played Casper Rude. Berrettini played horrible in this match. I mean, Rude beat him in straight sets, and Berrettini really wasn't in this match until the very end. And Rude wins the third set in a tiebreak. But this one only goes two and a half hours, and most of it was some of the second set and all of the third. So Casper Rude incredible into the into the semis. That's a Hatchinoff and Rude semifinal. Then let's get to the bottom. Andre Rublev played Francis Tiafo. Tiafo played great tennis. Two and a half hours. He wins this in straight sets against Rublev. Feel, feel for Rublev really because he's gone through a lot this year with everything that's going on in his home country of Russia. And I read a stat somewhere that he's been in like six quarterfinals and four of them have been straight set losses. Don't quote me on that, but I believe I read that somewhere. And that is, you know, he's a better player than I, I know he is. And I'd like to see him get a breakthrough here soon. But Tiafo into the semis. Then this might this might be the match of the tournament. Yannick Sinner versus Carlos Alcaraz in five sets. They play for five hours and 15 minutes until about 2.45 in the morning one night during this quarterfinal match. And it was an incredible match. Now, I say there's a lot of incredible matches here, but this one truly was the match of the tournament in my eyes. Back and forth, back and forth. People are tweeting. Uh, Feliciano Lopez is like, are these guys playing ping pong? They're, you know, hitting the ball so hard and fast and quick and everything. This match literally had everything. It was a bummer that someone had to lose this match. But Carlos Alcaraz comes out in the fifth and is just too strong for center. Beats him 6-3 in the fifth and moves on to play Tiafo. In the semis. Now, if you remember, Carlos Alcaraz played a five-setter against Marin Cilic in the fourth round. Sinner, five-setter in the quarters. And in the semis, he goes on to have another five-set match against Francis Tiafo that he wins 6-3 in the fifth. So, Alcaraz is not putting any lack of miles on his feet. And it's incredible that he can keep moving at the pace he was moving and keep playing the way he was playing and still make it into that final with some energy. So he plays a five-hour and five-hour five and fifteen-minute match against Yannick Sinner in the quarters. In the semis, he plays another four-hour and nineteen-minute match against Tiafo. Then he gets to the finals where he plays Casper Rude. Rude really dominates Hatchinov in four straight or in four sets, not straight sets. He wins the uh he wins the first set, the second set, and the fourth set against Hatchinov and moves on to the final. So the most interesting part about this final, though is both these guys had the chance to be number one in the world with a win here. So it came down to Casper Ruud and Carlos Alcaraz. Winner not only gets their first Grand Slam ever, but becomes the number one ranking in the world. That had to be some of the biggest stakes that you can have in a final. Not only each of you could get your first one and your first time being number one in the world, but the only person stopping you is the person across the net. So a lot to unpack there, but they make it into the final, and it's a great final, really, and... Alcaraz comes out hot in the first, wins the first. Rude comes out hot, wins the second dominantly. And then the third was really back and forth. And you can tell sometimes this is the deciding point in the match. The third set, a lot of times when they split, is if it's not dominated by one player, it really could go either way. And this one ends up in a tiebreak, and Carlos Alcaraz comes out on top, 7-1 in the tiebreak. And then after that, the wheels kind of fell off for Rude. And Carlos Alcaraz wins 6-3 in the final and becomes... The youngest ever world number one on the ATP Tour at 19 years old. 
and becomes the youngest Grand Slam winner since Rafael Nadal in 2005. Carlos Alcaraz, first ever Grand Slam champion, and it is in New York. Now, Carlos Alcaraz doesn't just have a good U.S. Open. He's had an incredible year this year. Carlos Alcaraz has won at least one set in all 60 matches that he's played in 2022, and this is what he's done over his career. He's the youngest Miami and Madrid men's champion. He's the youngest to defeat both Nadal and Djokovic. He's the youngest ATP 500 champion ever. That was in Rio this year. Youngest U.S. Open champ since Pete Sampras in 1990. And then I just mentioned youngest Grand Slam champ since Nadal in 05. And the youngest world number one ever. Now, the other interesting thing is now that he's ranked number one for the first time in the history of the ATP rankings, players born in three different decades, Djokovic in 87, he was born in 1987, Medvedev born in 96, Alcaraz in 2003, will have held the number one rank during the same season. Now, obviously, a ton went into that. Not only Medvedev playing great this year, but you know, not getting points at Wimbledon really hurt Djokovic. What would have happened there? And then you know, him not being able to play in a few tournaments this year, so there's a lot to unpack here and also a lot of things that had to go certain ways for this to actually happen the way it did. Now that was on the men's side and Carlos Alcaraz obviously takes the cake on the men's side. On the women's side, another great tournament on the women's side. Now even though Serena Williams went out on the women's side in the third round, there was still no shortage of you know, great matches and fun stuff to watch on the women's side. Jessica Bagula, you had the eight seed, the American, she makes it to the corner finals, loses to Sviatek. Um, Iga Sviatek in the quarters, and Sviatek, obviously, the best in the world, number one seed. She played Sabalenka in the semis. Coco Goff had a great tournament. She makes it to the quarters, loses to Garcia. Garcia's been playing great tennis so far, so that wasn't really super surprising because, you know, Goff was playing singles and doubles, had a lot going on, whatever. Garcia's been playing great. Anja Brewer had a great tournament. She beats Tomjanovic. In the quarterfinals, goes on to the semis, beats Garcia, goes on to the finals to play Sviatek. And Iga Sviatek played a great tournament, top to bottom. I know there were some questions coming into this tournament just because how she kind of ended things at Wimbledon. She was on that win streak and then kind of fell apart and then just wasn't the same ever since, you know, the French. And she comes into this tournament and, you know, has a couple hiccups here and there. Sabalenka wins the first set, but then she wins the next two in the women in the semifinal and then the women's final. She beats Anz Jabur in two straight sets, uh, 6-2, and then it was 7-5 in the tiebreaker. 7-6, 7-5 in the tiebreaker. So uh, she, she wins another Grand Slam title. I believe it's her third Grand Slam title. She's won the French twice, I believe, and then she's won now here once on the hard court. So... Iga Sviatek, she is incredible for the sport of tennis. She's great for women's tennis, and she moved into the number one spot when Ash Barty retired, and I think she deserves every bit of that fame and every bit of that glory that she gets there at the top spot because she is so good at tennis, and it's cool to see her get a hard-court win. Anja Burr, she's so close. She's so close. She's the finals at Wimbledon, final here at the U.S. Open. She is so close to winning a uh, Grand Slam. I think it'll be a matter of time before she gets one, but I feel so bad for her. I think she works hard. I think she's good enough. She just you know, fall, comes up short, falls short in the championship matches. As a whole, the U.S. Open, I thought it was great. I really did. I think the coverage of the U.S. Open was phenomenal. When you look at how they covered the qualifiers, they covered those really well. 
you know, picked up storylines early in the tournament on ESPN so people could watch. And then you get them into, you know, into the tournament a little bit more. And those storylines were easy to follow. Now, obviously, Serena Williams being in this tournament, there's going to be a lot more eyes on this tournament than there normally would. I think, you know, their ratings were high. I, I, from what I've read and what I have seen, it looks like there were a lot of eyes on this tournament this year simply because of Serena Williams. And I think ESPN and the USTA, US Open, everybody took real big advantage of that to get more people interested in the sport. So it was really good to see that they were, you know, catering to new audiences this entire time. But this year, even with not the largest names of the sport in the tournament, I think it was one of the best years of the tournament to date. And the way that the U.S. Open brings in entertainment as part of, you know, a big attraction to the tournament uh, was just kind of a cherry on top for how they do things there. Now, on the logistics side of the U.S. Open, they did something this year that they had never done before. Uh, they actually had the first major to host junior wheelchair events. Uh, it also expanded its men's and women's wheelchair singles draws from 8 to 16, becoming the first slam to offer over a million dollars in prize money in the in the wheelchair tournament. They've kind of been ahead of the curve when it comes to you know, wheelchair tennis and uh, just the way they've done things at the U.S. Open. They pay the men and women the same. They have the biggest purse in tennis, the biggest stadium in tennis. U.S. Open's always done things just a little bit different. If you've, I, I've said this on this podcast before. If you've never watched wheelchair tennis, you got to watch wheelchair tennis. Wheelchair tennis. On TV, it's great, but in person, it's even better. These people are incredible athletes. The way that they can maneuver a tennis court, hit shots they can hit, it's very entertaining. When I worked there in 2019, I I spent a lot of time watching wheelchair tennis just because I was so fascinated by it and just impressed with the ability of these people to be able to play at such a high level, um, you know, without moving or without using their legs at all. So uh, you got to watch wheelchair tennis. And for the U.S. Open to do this, they've really been ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And this is just another one. So that's another reason why the U.S. Open is my favorite tournament and I think the best sports event tournament in the entire world. All right. I think I went over everything. Uh, the U.S. Open. Carlos Alcaraz gets his first ever Grand Slam. World number one. Casper Ruud is world number two now. Iga Swiatek on the, on the women's side. She wins her Grand Slam number three. And in the doubles game, Rajiv Ram, the American, played with the Brit, who is Joe Salisbury. And they win their second straight U.S. Open title. So that was awesome to see. Rajiv Ram, the American. So... Always good to see another American get a Grand Slam title. And on the women's side, it's Taylor Townsend and Katie McNally. Katie McNally used to play doubles with Coco Goff. She's now with Taylor Townsend. They make it to the final on the women's side. Awesome to see them in the final. But they lose to Sinyokova and Kreshevikova. Kreshevikova. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I demolished both those names. But those those two, I, I know what they look like. I know what their last names look like. I just, I'm not good at pronouncing them. They actually uh, have won the U.S. Open before, I believe. So they are really, really good at doubles. So they win in three sets. Taylor Townsend, really cool to see her and McNally really go at it on the doubles women's side. That's it for the Grand Slam. Um, the Grand Slam season, the Grand Slam calendar is over. Two go to Rafael Nadal, one goes Novak Djokovic, and one goes to Carlos Alcaraz. I did get this pick right, so I know what you're thinking. Uh, I remember when I said I picked Carlos Alcaraz to win, and I don't get picks right all the time. I got the last two picks right, the last two Grand Slams. Very nervous going into 2023 to see what happens here. So, ooh, I got I to do three in a row, right? Ozzy Open, should I pick it right now? 
No, I'll pick it when I get there. See who's playing well. Oh, maybe I'll no, I'll pick it. I'll pick it later. I'll pick it later. Not right now. Too nervous. Too nervous right now. Thanks for listening, though. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for watching the U.S. Open. I thought it was great. Thanks for following along with the U.S. Open. I was tweeting all about it the other day during Sunday's football. People were like, why are you tweeting about tennis? I'm like, because football goes on for the rest of the year. Tennis is pretty much over now. We got the Labor Cup and stuff coming up. I'll keep you updated with that. But for now, let's move on. Grand Slam season's over. It's time to play some weird tournaments and have a little fun with tennis for the rest of the year. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.